Welcome to the Carrot Gal Sister Chats podcast, where we chat all about gardening and self-sufficiency. We are Jackie and Laura, two sisters who live in Utah and Idaho, and who love to talk about self-sufficiency skills. We're glad you're here. Come learn along with us. Hey, Laura. How are you today? Oh, how are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm super good. Good. I'm really excited to talk to you today. I think it would be really fun to just share some of our stories and our experiences with uh, fermented food in general. Uh, there's a wide variety of what that could entail. So I'm really excited to see where we go with this conversation today. So how do you feel about that? That's awesome. Yeah, really, you're, when, if we're talking about fermented food, there really is a wide variety and like lots of different things. I don't have a lot of experience with very many of them, but I've tried a few different types of fermented foods, making them myself and cool. fascinating process. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny you bring this up because I was just doing homework with my daughter today. She's a, mm. a 10th grader in high school and she has um, severe cerebral palsy. So I have to do a lot of the physicalness of her homework with her. And she has a science test tomorrow. She's in biology right now. And so just this afternoon, I was doing homework with her and we were going through her biology. And one of the things she's learning about right now is fermentation. What? Like, I don't really understand fermentation, mom. We didn't talk about it a whole lot. So I was able to explain what fermentation is. And I was able to pull out fermented food from my fridge and show her. And like, how cool is that to be like, be able to show your high schooler, this is fermented food right here. So anyway, that was what I did this afternoon was I told her about fermented fermentation. Um, What I was telling her is fermentation is a process that happens in nature where the, the bacteria and things that are on a food change it. So Um, And maybe we can talk about like the different types of fermented foods that are around us. And, but I mean, so one example of a fermented food is um, sauerkraut. So I was showing her the sauerkraut that I have in the fridge and like it's done in an anaerobic state. And that's, I think that's pretty true for most ferments, right? I don't really know. I don't really know. Some ferments are done in an anaerobic state. And what that means is you want them underneath the liquid. So there's no air anyway. So that's what I was sharing with her was just the fermentation process. There's a lot of foods that go through the fermentation process and us controlling the fermentation is, is important. So some fermented foods that I know of are sourdough and we've done a, um, a video on that before, and we'll probably do more on sourdough. There's yogurt sauerkraut, kefir, kimchi, um, any, what else can you think of that's fermented? Sorry, what did you say? Sauerkraut, kimchi, what else? Well, I mean, you can, you can ferment probably just about any fruit or vegetable. Um, yes, certain thing. Yes. There's a lot of vegetables you can ferment. Um, there's some vegetables that don't do as well fermenting, although you can take them through the fermentation process. They just don't turn out as amazing on the outside, on the other side. Sure. But um, yeah, I think 
technically speaking, the science behind things is like the all fruits can ferment because there's sugar in the fruit. And so if you put it in the right environment, then those sugars actually break down and do the fermenting, which from what I understand, then can turn into an alcoholic substance of some sort. And then I just was geeking out about this recently about learning how to make vinegar at home. If you don't PS pretend like you're listening to a little shoulder angel on, on your, on your shoulder right now. If you don't know how to make vinegar at home, just learn how to make vinegar. It's like so easy. I haven't actually made it myself yet, but I was just recently learning about how to make vinegar and it really, it seems quite simple. So anyway, um, because you take any (laughs) with sugar in it, any fruit based or sugary anything, and it goes through an alcoholic ferment first, right? And then you leave it out and it turns into vinegar. It's really quite simple. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Anyway. So shoulder angel, for the moment, learn how to make vinegar. I think your life will be changed forever. Okay. Anyway, back to the topic on hand. Um, yeah, all those things you can culture, like you can ferment, uh, milk products because again, basically they also have sugars in the milks. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can turn milk into, um, sour cream, which is a f- culture, like a fermented version of the cream from the milk. You can turn it into yogurt which we all are familiar with yogurt for hopefully you can actually take butter um, and cold, like add in some cultures and stuff and make cultured butter. I mean, that's okay. So cheese, let's talk about cheese for a second, right? Oh, Laura, we didn't talk about this before. I'm like, cheese, that was the big food category that I forgot to even think about. Cheat all cheese is fermented um, because you take different parts of the milk um, and you add in different kinds of cultures to get a certain end result of cheese. So, and I don't know much more than that because I've never actually made, that's not true. I have made certain cheeses, but I'm not a cheese expert by any stretch of the imagination. Um, But yeah, it goes through a culturing fermenting process and every specific type of cheese is a unique process. So there's that, but um, alcoholic beverages are fermented. um, Good chocolate if you didn't know that chocolate's fermented that was uh, when I learned that I was like what that's so cool so like to break that down they take the cocoa bean and it has to go through a fermenting process like they has I think it has to get heated up and I don't know there's all these things that it has to go through the video about it one time and it was these men in the, yeah in wherever they live and they got the cocoa beans off the trees they put in these giant like square boxes and it like turns into this goo. Yeah. Like wacky. And then that turns into a fermented product and then that becomes cocoa anyway. Yeah. Wild. Right. And that's before they add all the sugar and the yummy things to make it actually taste good. If you've never eaten like straight, if you've ever eaten like cocoa powder, you know, it's kind of a bitter process, but um, straight chocolate, <laughs> It really doesn't taste amazing because there's no yummy sugary things in there. So anyway, side note, um, let's see tempeh miso. Those are actually fermented products made from soy. Um, did you mention kimchi? I mentioned it, but go okay. ahead. Tell what kimchi is. Yeah. So kimchi, I always say this, but I feel like kimchi is, uh, like, you know, the Korean sauerkraut. <laughs> you want to 
to like put a country or a label or whatever with a certain type of fermented vegetable. Um, That's how I would label it. So kimchi is the Korean version of a sauerkraut. So they take a different type of cabbage. It's called Napa cabbage and a bunch of other variety of vegetables um, with a bunch of unique spices and flavors that are you that make kimchi kimchi. So they put a lot of spicy things like chili paste and things. Sometimes there's fish flavors in their fish sauce and things like that. Um, and then the magic ingredient is the salt that helps the fermentation process. But the cool thing that I learned as I made kimchi many years ago is that I was kind of learning kimchi and sauerkraut kind of at the same time. Um, I think I started with sauerkraut which technically I think, I don't know if it always came from Germany, but I always think traditional sauerkraut comes a lot from Germany, right? So like just normal sauerkraut, I think Germany, kimchi, I think Korea. <laughs> so there's that. But um, what, as I was learning both of these processes, it's really kind of the same because you're adding in the salt and creating the right environment for those um, microbes to thrive, the good healthy ones for our guts, for the gut. Um But then I thought it was really neat because kimchi showed me this whole other way that you can ferment things. And so you can add a variety of different vegetables and you can do the same thing with sauerkraut. I've seen sauerkraut recipes where you can actually throw in some onion or some carrots or any other root vegetables or whatever you want, as long as you're making sure that like the proportion of vegetables to the salt and the, like the brine that it's sitting in are appropriate for the right environment for the good things to grow. So it it just was cool. It just expanded my mind. I'm like, Oh, you can add spices. Like I've thrown in cumin seeds into my sauerkraut in the past. I've thrown in lots of different things I enjoy personally. Um, And then they all get fermented and it just is this really yummy, yummy thing at the end. So yeah. Funny um, kimchi. My, my mother and father-in-law have are on a mission there right now for the, for our church. And they um, like, they, like people in Korea, they eat kimchi with everything. Yeah. So they, he told us one time, he's like, for breakfast, we eat rice, fish, and kimchi. For lunch, we eat rice, fish, and kimchi. For dinner, we eat rice, fish, and kimchi. And they have dedicated refrigerators for their kimchi because they don't want everything else in the refrigerator. The smell. Like kimchi because it's very garlicky. Yeah. Very strong scented. So they keep their kimchi in a dedicated refrigerator. Oh my gosh. And speaking of Asian cultures, our brother lived in Japan for a while. He was serving his mission there and he came back and he tried to get us to eat the things from Japan. And I was like, no, nope, that's gross. This is way before I knew anything about fermented foods. But as we're talking about fermented foods, uh, this is a memory that's coming to my mind. Um, he tried to get us to eat something in Japan. It's called natto. Um, and it's basically fermented. I think it's soybeans, isn't it? I can't remember. It's like, I think it's soybeans, but it's like the whole entire bean. Actually, I don't know if it is soybeans. I can't remember. Whatever bean it is. Um, they're cooked beans, I think. And then they um, they just let them sit and ferment and it turns into this ugh, ugh, I can't I can't do it but um there's it's very stringy and it's very very unappetizing and uh slimy very slimy and they eat it for breakfast all the time and so he came back because he had gotten used to eating this and he's like you guys gotta try this like I smelled it and I was like oh I'm gonna th- I mean I almost threw up it was 
not my favorite, but I know a lot of people love it. But um, it is. I just look. Is it soybeans? Soybeans and pictures look pretty disgusting. (laughs) Yeah, they're not very appetizing. But I know it's very. It's a huge thing in their culture, right? So I mean, that just reminded me of like having a specific refrigerator for kimchi. Like the Koreans are serious about their kimchi. So. Um, when it comes to, oh, the other thing that you can ferment are grains and I think nuts, nuts and seeds as well. I haven't really experimented much with nuts and seeds, but I think that you can from what I hmm. remember, but that's a, another topic. Yeah. I don't know. I've seen fermented recipes for like cranberry sauce and some other fun things yeah. you can do as well. Salsas yeah, and things cool. like that. So cool. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So lots of variety, lots of things that we can culture, right? And like, why do we do this? What the, what's the point? <laughs> like, what did, did, like, what's your story? I mean, maybe not your full story, right? But like, what I understand about fermented foods, number one, it's a really great way to preserve food because mm. require refrigeration, right? So sure. you have a lot of things coming out of your garden. Like it takes very little effort and it really just takes some salt and some water and it sits on the counter and it does its thing. And yeah. then it's preserved for a very long time. So that's a right. great thing about it. Right. But in that process of preserving and fermenting, it changes to a, to a food that's really supportive nutri- nutritiously to our gut health. And there's a lot of talk about gut health right now and um, eating fermented foods or getting them into your diet is a really good way to add natural probiotics yeah, and be able to help your, your strengthen your immune system in the process. So that's my yes. understanding of it. Yeah, mine too. That's perfect. Um, as I started learning about all of this kind of stuff, I was learning about, um, I, I was introduced to a concept called GAPS. So it's G-A-P-S and it's a, it's a specific eating protocol that specifically helps your gut to heal. Um, especially when you, if you have like neurological issues or actual like gut issues, you know, digestive issues or any other issue in the body. Um, anyway, so I'm not getting going to get into that. I was just exposed to these classes and I was learning a lot about the connection to the gut through those classes. I learned about, um, some history of a dentist named Weston A. Price. I had never heard of him before this time period. This is, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago that I started learning about all of this. And I started learning about this guy named Weston A. Price and he was a dentist and um, cool guy, but he start as he, he's noticed in his patients and I can't remember what part of the world he lived in. I don't know. You can Google him and find his story, but Uh, he was noticing with his dental patients, like interesting, um, like really high arches in his clients or like people didn't have room for all their teeth, like interesting structural issues that were showing up in his dental practice. And he got really curious about that. And he really wanted to understand like what in the world is causing these really, really intense dental malformities in people that live in a civilized normal society, right? That's, that's where he was coming from. And I can't remember the story and how he ended up where he ended up, but um, on the, in, during his sabbatical months, like, I guess he took a couple of months off every year and he would actually go to really random corners of the world and get to know 
cultures that had no dental issues within their people. And, and he started studying and observing and getting curious about what in the world was, what these people were doing that was working for them. And uh, one of the things that he found is that they ate a lot of fermented foods that the quote unquote civilized people didn't have in their diets anymore. There's so much more to it than that, but that was one of the things that that he learned through that whole process. So there's lots of books that have been written about his works. Um, one of them is kind of a Bible of sorts <laughs> for this. It's called Nourishing Traditions um, right here. Hope you guys can see that, but um, it's by Sally Fallon. Um, and she, this is, like I said, it's a Bible. It is like 600 and something pages. It's, it's large and in charge and, but it has lots and lots and lots of powerful detailed information in here. So, um, it's a good place to start. There's a lot of other easier ways to ease your way into it, but this is a phenomenal resource for you. Um, lots of recipes, lots of instructions in there. Uh, we have a couple other books to show you as well, but lots of cool things. Mm -hmm. in there. Right. Do you want to show those right now? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, let's let's do the book book tour. Give one to share. So I'll do mine first, but it's called Ferment. And it looks like cool. there's lots of really fun fermented recipes in it. And by Charlotte Pike. Beautiful. But links to all of these down below too. For sure. Um, and then I have two more that are really fun books. There's a, there's a lady named Donna Schwenk. She has an online website and I've never joined her membership or anything, but she's, her primary focus is getting more cultured foods into your diet. Um, and she's been really helpful for me to um, understand how to actually get a lot of these foods inside of me mm -hmm. um, in a natural way. So she has lots of normal, quote unquote, normal recipes that feature cultured foods. So um, this is one of her basic ones is called cultured food for life. She has probably two or three other books and Donna Schwenk is her name. So she focuses on fermented grains, so some sourdough things and um, I don't know, other forms of cultured grains. There's lots of ways to do that, but, um, and then like, she's really big into kefir and kombucha. Kefir is a fermented dairy product like a liquid dairy drink basically that you put little grain happy cold yeah kefir grains is what they're called into the milk and it cultures it kind of like a runny yogurt um and then she focuses on one other thing i can't remember but really well, cool things there. also pronounced kefir oh yeah right in the part of the world that we live in we call it kefir but in the rest of the world it's called what she just said <laughs> kefir is how I've heard it yes yes and then this is another fun book um it's called naked nutrition it's just, it's actually written by some local ladies that I know here in my area her Amy Choate and Annie Miller and I think this is you can find this on Amazon too um this is more than just fermented foods but it's like really down-to-earth uh nutritional food. So love all those books. So when I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> I usually turn to one of these fun right. books to help me understand. Right. And, um, I don't have quite as much experience as you, but I wanted to just start by sharing just the process that I learned to make sauerkraut. And okay. in addition to these books, I have 
a web page that has been really fascinating or really helpful as a resource for me. So I bookmarked it, and just keep it accessible on my phone. And like, literally, I only have like three things on there. And this is one because I'm like, I got to know my, my proportions, right? So sure, it's on a website called Northwest Edible Life. Mm. And it's titled, how much salt should I use for my fermentation? Great question. That's always my question when I'm about to ferment, like how much salt? <laughs> so not every ferment is going to take salt, but when you do vegetables, you add a salty brine to it. And then sauerkraut is slightly different. So, um, but like if you're fermenting other things, yogurt is a totally different process. Sourdough is a totally different process. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think fruits and yogurts and all those kinds of things are quite different. But when we're talking about vegetables, we have this salty brain. So the introduct the opening paragraph to it says controlled fermentation is one of the easiest, cheapest lowest tech ways to preserve the harvest with nothing more than salt water and the microbes already living on your vegetables. You can turn highly perishable cucumbers into long lasting pickles, raw cabbage into more digestible sauerkraut and churn out dilly beans without ever heating up the canning kettle. And I I just thought that was really cool to like, wow, like that is why you would ferment. But what I like about this is it makes it really understandable. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of ferments, that are vegetable based, you're going to add that salty brine to. Um, and they recommend on this webpage measuring your salt by grams. And we've talked about this before in other videos, but the reason why is because salt comes in such varying degrees of um, grind. You can have very finely ground and very chunky salt. And if it says add a tablespoon, it's going to be a drastically different amount of salt. If you have big chunks versus little tiny fine granules. So because of the surface area mm -hmm. of the salt. Yeah. So if you learn to do your ferments and measure your salt in grams, it's going to make a lot more success. Hmm. So, um, straw anyway. So they talk about weaker brines versus stronger brines and why you would use each one. But, um, So they said most ferments do well with about a 3% brine. So what that means is you take a thousand milliliters or one liter of water, and you combine that with 30 grams of salt. So you take a thousand, you multiply it by 0.03, and that equals 30. So you could then take whatever amount you want to use. If it's 500, that would be, you would multiply 500 by 0.03, and you would get 15. So anyway, it's just really easy math when you use grams. Um, but really what I do on this webpage is I go down to the part that says, what about sauerkraut? So sauerkraut is a little bit different in the process because you don't actually create a salty brine mixing salt with water. You start with the cabbage and you shred it as finely as you can. And then I usually weigh mine on a kitchen scale. And if I have a thousand grams of, of cabbage shredded up, then I'm going to use 30 grams of salt. And then what you do is you sprinkle the salt on top and then you mix it together. And that salt starts pulling out liquid from the cabbage leaves. And um, they eventually after about, it takes about an hour and I kind of squish it around a little bit. 
Um, maybe not even that long. 20 minutes. My like, minutes? it depends on how aggressive you are. So I've massaged oh. it with my fingers. Mm-hmm. um, pretty consistently for about five minutes. And like, there's significant juice that's coming out. So maybe about 10 minutes total is like, it's all the juice that will come out that you'll need. And then from there, like I just have a big bowl and I'm just massaging the salt into the cabbage and lots of juice starts getting extracted. And then I shove it in the jar and like more of it comes out. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, but not way too long. Right. But yeah, it's own brine basically with with juices is what we do. Right. Quick little caveat though. I was like, but that's kind of the aggressive method, but I've also just like literally shredded up my cabbage, put it in a bowl, measured it. Right. Mm-hmm. added the salt mixed it together briefly right. and left it alone and right. it does take roughly I don't know exactly the amount of time maybe an hour mm-hmm. for it to like just naturally start pulling its stuff out so if you just want to like leave it that's cool it'll yeah. do its thing so just wanted to mention that yeah, that's a good point like both ways work just fine they so do you get enough of that that liquid coming out of the cabbage you're going to take it and you're going to put it inside of a jar, a canning jar, or a lot of people like to use those Fido jars, Mm F-I-D-O. And those are really nice to ferment with because it allows the air to escape and you can reuse them forever. So check out those ones. They're beautiful too. So you smash it down in there as much as you can, and then you're going to want to press it down and create enough of the brine to come up over your cabbage by an inch or so. And the whole time it's fermenting, you want to make sure that cabbage stays underneath the brine. Yes. As we talked about at the beginning to create that anaerobic environment to get the right bacteria in there. Jackie uses a cabbage leaf, mm-hmm. one of the outer leaves, and she keep puts that on top and then weights it down with, I don't know what you use. Like there's a certain specific weights you can buy, but I usually just yeah. keep an extra jar. I use a smaller canning jar and fill it with water and smash that down on top. I put a little piece of plastic that I fit just to fit on the top of my, Mm. of inside my jars. And I smash that down and make sure there's no little pieces of cabbage sticking up that will create mold. But as long as everything's under the brine and then you just let it sit for like as long as you want, really, but it starts tasting good to me about two weeks. Cool. Yeah. Right. And you can, I think it's fermented technically within like two or three days. And then it's just basically your flavor preference. You yep. can let it ferment all the way up to like six or eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And it gets very strong at that point. Mm-hmm. I like it about that two week stage too. It's really nice for me. And then when um, the stage you want, you just stick it in the fridge. Yeah, exactly. Because what happens when you put it in the fridge is that um, when it's on the counter at normal air room temperature, it's doing its fermenting thing and it Technically, it still ferments when it's in the fridge. It just happens at a much, much slower pace. And so you can keep it in there for quite a while before it goes bad. Um, I know, Lara, I've been at your house and you have just kind of kept your just a loose lid on the top or just kind of kept it open. Um, and that's one way to do it. Um, I have never felt comfortable doing that. And I I love I have some just fermenting lid things, sets that I have. So you can buy, there's like pickle pipe lids. They're like little silicone ones that stick on top of a mason jar. I, I've just bought some from another company, another brand, um, a local guy that I met one time. And he just had some fermenting lids with like an airlock that so you, it's just a unique way to keep the environment 
good and healthy, but not required. Lara ferments without that all the time. So like, um, there's, there's other, there's ways to do it. And as you hear our stories, right. It's like uh, there's, there's variations you can. And that's kind of the fun of like learning how to do these things is like, there's often no, I mean, there's a right way to do it. Right. But it's like, there's such a var- variation within the right way to do it. Yeah. And really you'll know that your ferment has, has gone bad. If you start seeing mold on the top or, or it smells weird, funky. Yeah. I mean, sauerkraut is supposed to s- smell funky, like sour. It's supposed to smell. It actually, I used to not like sauerkraut because I thought it smelled awful. Like it kind of smells like a dirty diaper. Right. But, um, <laughs> but it tastes amazing. <laughs> excellent (laughs) um interestingly enough so if you buy sauerkraut at the store in a jar that's been on the shelf canned that's that's on the shelf that's not the kind of sauerkraut that's going to have the good bacteria in Mm -hmm. for your body because Mm -hmm. it gets killed in the canning process um you can go to a health food store or some regular stores have it and get Mm -hmm. in the in like the refrigerated section and those ones live with, with actual bacteria that are, that are the right ones to do. Right. So you can still eat another kind of sauerkraut. It's just not going to give you the health benefits that you might be looking for. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you're going to, if you're going for the health benefits, I say this often to clients that I work with, like you have like, look at the label because just because it says sauerkraut doesn't mean that you're getting the health benefits. Like Lara said, you're going to get the flavor of the canned sauerkraut but that's not what we're going for. Um, if you're looking for that specifically, read the label. It will say live cultures on the label, somewhere on the label. If it is raw, healthy for you, good for you, sauerkraut. Um, and it often says raw sauerkraut on there somewhere. Like look for those words, raw and live cultures are kind of your happy points for sauerkraut. If you're going to buy it. One of the most famous brands is called Bubby's. So good that but you're going to pay about eight dollars a jar yeah or kraut but if you can learn how to make it yourself then you buy a head of cabbage yeah. for two or three dollars and make it yourself with just a little salt and water so yeah. uh, water sorry just salt just salt and speaking of salt i am very specific about salt um when we talk about salt we are not talking about like iodized Morton table sea salt, like the white stuff that's really cheap. Um, you're going to need to buy a higher quality salt than that. Um, Himalayan sea salt, um, anything that has some color, some minerals in it, like you're going to want a good, really good quality salt <laughs> for this. And when it's when it, um, I have been taught that it is wise when you're culturing or fermenting vegetables in general to to use organic at whenever possible just because there's actually more healthy microbes already on your vegetables and that's part of the the process anyway so just a little tidbit about salt and preference of type of vegetables you can still ferment and culture vegetables that are not organic um it's just another step up so if that's a thing then i'll sway you towards the organic (laughs) right yeah really that's I've fermented a few other things before, but sauerkraut is the one that I've done the most. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, 
I really don't have a whole lot more to contribute, but I mean, you can share what you've done. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Um, sauerkraut's really fun. I just want to touch base really quick on like it, it blows me away anytime I'm traveling and I'm like, I really want some sauerkraut. I just, uh, you know, it kind of burns a hole in my pocket, but I'll do it because I love the sauerkraut. The Bubby's brand is so good. Um, seven, $8 a jar. And I can go through that thing in like four days, just me by myself, you know? Um, cause it's that good. But when I make it at home, it really costs two or $3 and I get at least half of a gallon of solid amounts of sauerkraut out of that thing. Um, it's amazing. And maybe not a full half gallon, but it's quite a bit fun little nuanced things about sauerkraut is if you buy a green head of of cabbage and you're making it out of green cabbage, like the juice that comes out when you're making it with the salt and massaging it, it's this like green liquid. So if that freaks you out, that's normal. But if you buy a purple head of cabbage, the guess what color the liquid is that comes out? It's purple. Um, That was actually a really fun, like sensory experience for me as I've been, because you can make it from any color cabbage you want. And anyway, so that was fun. Um, Done purple cabbage. I've only done the green and it, the green ferments down into like a yellow color. Yeah. So be prepared. Yeah, it does. And the purple one turns into just kind of a, I mean, it's still purple. It's just kind of this dark. It's not really purple. It just kind of turns into this dark color. Was it gray? Like kind of grayish color? Dark purple. Um, I would say, yeah, it's it's not black, but it's not purple. Somewhere hmm. in between. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, super fun. Super fun. You ferment. Li- yeah. Okay. So beets are really fun to ferment. Um, I have I have fermented beets, which is a very different process than cold than doing sauerkraut because sauerkraut you want the the pieces like shred up in little little bits um, so that you can eat them later. But when you do beets, it's kind of funny. It's actually the opposite. You actually want them in bigger chunks. Um, and when you ferment beets, uh, the end product is called beet kvass. I have no idea where that comes from, but that's what it's called. And um, what you, so, I mean, all, all fermentation is kind of similar, right? Like Lara described the, the brining, like the salt, brine that you need to have so that's what you do you cut up a beet you put it in a mason jar of some sort whatever jar you want um and based on the ratios to make beet kvass you make this salt brine with water and salt Mm -hmm. and then you just cover up your beets and you put like i would use my fermenting lid but um double check on that if you need a lid on or if you can leave it open or what the deal is with beet kvass it's been a minute since i made beet kvass but and then you let it ferment. And again, I'm not going to give you the specific amounts of time because I don't know. You can, you know, look up that and um, if it's a couple of days or if it's a couple of weeks, I can't remember exactly. But um, so it's an interesting, it's a different process because like you actually don't like, I mean, I'm assuming you can eat the beets at the end, but the liquid is actually what you drink. So that's the beet kvass. It's like the liquid. So it's like this fermented beet, this really dark red because beets are red and the whole the liquid turns really bright red too with the beets, assuming that you're doing red beets, I should clarify. Um, but it's the liquid that you drink that is the fermented product at the end. So that that's kind of a fun thing. And it kind of, um, you can use that in like salad dressings. Um, if you make homemade salad dressings, you can just drink it straight. It's kind of like a tonic for you. It's just 
It's a good way to get some really good quality probiotics in. Um, I've fermented cucumbers to turn them into pickles. So that's been a really fun thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I've already made, I've done the kimchi. I've never fermented chocolate, unfortunately. Maybe that's on my bucket list one day. A little complicated, in your- <laughs> but I don't have fresh cocoa beans. <laughs> I don't either. Um, I have made yogurt. That's fun. Um, if you have a slow cooker or an Instapot, then yogurt's actually really kind of a fun process to make. I have made yogurt. Oh, cool. Cool. Uh, um, yeah. You don't actually need anything to make it. I used a cooler. Right. right. And I learned to make it in, in like um, pint sized jars. And I just, so the thing with yogurt, you need milk and you need plain yogurt. So you have to add a starter to yogurt. You're going to heat up the milk. It's been a minute since I've done it, but you're going to heat it up to a certain temperature and yeah. then let it cool back down yep. to a certain temperature. And then you add in just a little bit of yogurt, mm-hmm. like a quarter cup yep. or a whole gallon or something like that. Right. And then mix it all together. And then you, I poured it into jars, but you can just do it in a pot if you're doing it in that style. But I poured it into my jars and then I put it into a cooler and then I filled it up to the brims, like the outside of it with hot water, like just hot tap water. And then you let it sit there for a couple hours and it like thickens. Yeah. It cultures, turns into yogurt. Thickened, then you stick it in the fridge. <laughs> it's so cool. Yogurt is what, okay, you guys, once you learn how to make yogurt, I mean, you can still go back, but again, it's the same idea with the like sauerkraut. Like I can't go to the store and buy an $8 jar of sauerkraut. Now I'd much rather spend $3 on a really good head of cabbage and make four times as much sauerkraut. You know, it's the same with yogurt. Like I'd rather buy a gallon of yogurt. I mean, of milk. <laughs> turn it into a lot of yogurt for the amount that I would be paying for just one little thing of yogurt. So anyway, that's fun. What else have I made? Um, sourdough is always a really fun one to, to add to the list. Sourdough is one of my favorites. Um, vinegar. I already mentioned that that's a ferment. That's kind of fun. Um, have you done anything with fruit? Oh, for kombucha. I was just going to talk about kombucha. Um, the only thing I've done with fruit, I'll come back to kombucha in a second. I feel like the only thing I've done with fruit is that I picked some cherries from a neighbor's tree one day. And I thought I was, I think I was smarter than I thought I was at the time. <laughs> and I left the, I left a several, I don't know, maybe a cup or two of cherries in a little mason jar in my fridge. Didn't think anything of it came back and I tried them and I think they had fermented all on their own. They were a little tingly on my tongue and they had an interesting smell to them. Yeah. And I was like, pretty sure those were turning a little alcoholic, but. And really things with fruit or sugar are going to turn to alcohol. Yes. Like, I leave my dog. My daughter drinks a lot of juice boxes because she won't drink water. She's so silly, but, um, but she, if I leave her juice boxes out, they start smelling like alcohol. Yeah. So anything with fruit or sugar is going to, I've heard if you're going to ferment them and you're worried about alcohol content, if you're not going for alcohol content, then do a short ferment two days max, or you're going to start getting alcohol. 
yeah, it, they have sugar, like fruits ferment pretty quickly. Um, so that's my uh, random experiment slash not meant to happen with fruit, you know, experiment with fruit. Um, I have made kombucha, which is a fermented tea. And I'm not going to get into that extensively. Um, I bought a lot of kombucha at the store and it's the same process. I still buy a lot of kombucha at the store because that honestly is one that I don't feel like I've mastered fully. I gave it a go a while back. Um, and like all things fermented, I feel like I have to do it multiple times for it to feel like really comfortable to me. And I just haven't, um, cross that bridge fully. And then the last one that I feel like I've done is, oh, we are talking about kefir, kefir. Um, yeah, a friend of mine introduced me to that. And a while back and I just, I did it for a time and it was good. I just felt like I couldn't stay on top of it because I, A, I didn't, didn't really love like the flavor of it. Like I had to figure out how to build it into my smoothies and other recipes and things. And I just kind of struggled mm-hmm. to consume it all the time. And I ended up with way more than I needed. And I don't know, it just was too much for me. And so I was like, oh, I can't, and I didn't really learn how to like I know how to do that with my sourdough starter. Like when I'm like, Oh, that's too much. Like I know the process now, like stop feeding it, put it in the fridge, let it like take break for a minute. Um, and then I know how to activate it again. So I didn't, I never really got to that level with my, with my kefir greens. And then I didn't always love having to buy milk all the time. Cause we just don't drink a lot of milk. So that one was a little bit more of a struggle for me, but I know it's a really great way to get more fermented things into your diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did try milk kefir for a little while too. And I had this similar experience where it was just mm. it was a little complicated. You have to get yeah. grains from somebody. Like it's it, tiny, like a blob. They look like little miniature brains, like little cauliflower florets, but they look like cauliflower, cauliflower and brain mixed together. They're white and they're squishy and they're like, they're interesting. And those sit in your jar with the milk. With the milk thickens it over time and it's interesting yeah. I will say when I was doing that though like the best mashed potatoes I've ever had had kefir in it it was amazing so tasty I believe that <laughs> I got kefir grains from somebody two people here locally and the first one she gave me some kefir grains mm-hmm. and they were like they had like pink slime on them and I was like that's a bad sign gross this is not supposed anyway so I threw those out and if, that, if that's what your keepers like, then they clearly have, are not going well. Not healthy. <laughs> and I got better ones from somebody and they, um, they tasted much better. So it's awesome. like yogurt type, like drink. Awesome. Um, did you know there's also like water keeper? Have you heard of those? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've done water keeper too. I forgot about that. And similar, like similar grains, like they're more clear, but mm-hmm. you sit with sugar water. Yes. It's like a fermented drink that you can. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It does. Then there's all sorts of like, Oh my gosh, there's so many offshoots of all this. Like one of the cool things, um, as I've learned about fermented grains, like as I've learned about fermentation in general, I really have loved to feel empowered to like learn how to incorporate this into my, my diet. Um, so for example, if I am eating oatmeal, um, for breakfast or something, I actually try to, make what I call overnight oats where I mix in some yogurt and leave it in the fridge overnight. 
because what the yogurt does is it actually starts breaking down the grains and it helps the grains to start to ferment, not to ferment, but it's like breaks down the phytic acid on the grains. Right. Um, you can also, if you don't want to do that for another variation of making your oats healthier, um, you can actually put your oats in a, in your pot that you're going to cook in the morning with the water and a little bit of apple cider vinegar, because vinegar is a fermented thing. Not that it's all about fermentation, but the vinegar also starts breaking down the oats overnight. And then you just strain off the vinegar water in the morning, add enough water to cook your oats and then cook it, add whatever you need in and eat it. And it's like, it's just enhancing the bioavailability of the nutrition from that type of food. Um, I just, and I love like making homemade sour, not sour, salad dressings is what I meant. And I love using like the sauerkraut juice, for example, in my salad dressings, because then that's just another really great or kefir, kefir, um, in, in those kinds of things or in smoothies, or I can even add sauerkraut juice into my smoothies, you know? So it's just, there's really fun ways to like add all this into my diet and you don't even notice it. So mm-hmm. that's my end goal. No, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Funny you mentioned that. Cause I've done a few of those things as well. And like, fun to experiment and try things out and yeah so um yeah good discussion I think that was really awesome on fermentation yes so so fun oh one tiny little tip if you've never loved sauerkraut the raw sauerkraut that we've talked about today um the way that my gateway into liking sauerkraut um, the bubbies. So start with the bubbies brand of the raw sauerkraut. So that's a good way to start. Um, and the other thing I love, if you love, if you eat eggs, um, eggs and sauerkraut, there's something so magical about that combination for me. Um, you know, toast and eggs, like that's a really nice combination, throw a little avocado in, but like the sauerkraut just does something so good. So that's how I started. Um, I remember I was at Lara's house when I was starting my sauerkraut journey and I bought a, a bottle of bubbies and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get through this. And like on day two, I was like, this stuff tastes so good. So, um, and it's cool. Cause when you start eating fermented cultured foods, your body doesn't love it usually because it's adjusting to all the micro microorganisms that are in this new food and your gut is actually adjusting to it. So, um, but eventually your taste buds adjust and it starts wanting and craving those foods more often. So nice little tip. Yeah. We like our sauerkraut on a burger and if you mm. blue cheese on top. Oh, amazing. So good. If you like blue cheese, some people. Sure. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> another traditional way to eat it is in, um, uh, what's that sandwich? Sausage. Sausages and sour Rubens. Ruben. Is a really classic flavor for sauerkraut. Yes. Any of those like smoked um, fatty meat. That's probably why it's so good with eggs. Cause there's something about sauerkraut. Like it just cuts through all that fatty stuff in those meats. And that's like, like, Oh, that's so good. <laughs> so, it probably yeah. helps your body break it down easier. I would imagine some digestive enzymes or something like that. So yeah, I would imagine so. Anyway, that was great. Thanks for chatting about fermented foods with me. Options. So um, again, like we have a Facebook group, we like to have conversations in there with people. So join us there in our Facebook group and uh, pick a fermented food to try making and 
or eating either way is fine. And then let us know what your experience is in that Facebook group. Okay. So good. Good to talk to you. You too. Thanks for joining us today. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Carrot Gal Sister Chats podcast. We invite you to join us in our private Facebook group to continue the conversation. You can find the group by clicking on the link in the show notes or by visiting carrotgal.com slash chats. We love to answer questions and see pictures of your gardens and other self-sufficiency projects that you're working on. Come join us in the group. Thanks for listening.